Chapter 41 of Gunsight Pass How Oil Came to the Cattle Country and Brought a New West by William McLeod Rain. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Hank Brings Bad News. The change in the wind had cost three lives, but it had saved the jackpot property and the feed on the range. After the fire in San Jacinto Canyon had broken through Hart's defense by its furious and persistent attack, nothing could have prevented it from spreading over the plains on a wild rampage except a cloudburst or a decided shift of wind this last had come and had driven the flames back on territory already burnt over the fire did not immediately die out but it soon began to dwindle only here and there did it leap forward with its old savage fury presently these sporadic plunges wore themselves out for lack of fuel the devastated area became a smoldering, smoking char, showing a few isolated blazes in the barren ruin. There were still possibilities of harm in them if wind should shift again, but for the present they were subdued to a shadow of their former strength. It remained the business of the firefighters to keep a close watch on the red-hot embers to prevent them from being flung far by the breeze. Fortunately, the wind died down soon, reducing the danger to a minimum. Dave handed back to Shorty the revolver he had borrowed so peremptorily from his holster. Much obliged. I won't need this any more. The cowpuncher spoke grimly. I'm liable to. Mexico's a good country for a cattleman, Sanders said, looking straight at him. Shorty met him eye to eye. So I've been told. Good range and water holes, stock fatten well. Yes. A man might do worse than go there if he's worn out in this country. Stage robbers and rustlers right welcome, are they? asked Shorty heartily. No questions asked about a man's past if his present is okay. Listen's good. If I meet anybody looking to make a change, I'll tell him you recommended Mexico. The eyes of the two men still clashed and each man's was a deep respect for the other's gameness. They had been tried by fire and come through clean. Shorty voiced this defiantly. I don't like a hair of your head. Never did. You're too damned interfering to suit me. But I'll say this. You'll do to ride the river with, Sanders. I'll interfere again this far, Shorty. You're too good a man to go bad. Oh, hell. The outlaw turned away then thought better of it and came back. I'll name no names, but I'll say this. Far as I'm concerned, Tim Harrigan might be alive today. Dave, with a nod, accepted this as true. I guessed as much. You've been running with a mighty bad partner. Have I? asked the rustler blandly. Did I say anything about a partner? His eye fell on the three still figures lying on the hillside in a row. Not a twitching muscle in his face showed what he was thinking, that they might have been full of splendid life and vigor if Doug Doble had not put a match to the chaparral back of Bear Canyon. The man had murdered them just as sure as though he had shot them down with a rifle. For weeks Shorty had been getting his affairs in order to leave the country, but before he went he intended to have an accountant with one man. Dillon came up to Sanders and spoke in an awed voice. "'What do you aim to do with these, Sanders?' His hand indicated the bodies lying near. "'Send horses up for em, Dave said. "'You can take all the men back to camp with you "'except three to help me watch the fire. "'Tell Mr. Crawford how things are.' 
The men crept down the hill like veterans a hundred years old. Ragged, smoke-blackened, and grimy, they moved like automatons. So great was their exhaustion that one or two dropped out of line and lay down on the charred ground to sleep. The desire for it was so overmastering that they could not drive their weighted legs forward. A man on horseback appeared and rode up to Dave and Shorty. The man was Bob Hart. The red eyes in his blackened face were sunken and his coat hung on him in crisp shreds. He looked down at the bodies lying side by side. His face worked, but he made no verbal comment. We piled into a cave. Some of the boys couldn't stand it, Dave explained. Bob's gaze took in his friend. The upper half of his body was almost naked. Both face and torso were raw with angry burns. Eyebrows had disappeared, and eyes were so swollen as to be almost closed. He was gaunt, ragged, unshaven, and bleeding. Shorty, too, appeared to have gone through the wars. "'You boys ought to have the doc see you,' Hart said gently. "'He's down at camp now. One of them's men had an arm busted by a limb of a tree falling on him. I got a couple of casualties in my gang, two or three of them running a high fever. Looks like they may have pneumonia, doc says. Lungs all inflamed from swallowing smoke.' You take my hoss and ride down to camp, Dave. I'll stick around here till the old man sends a relief. No, you go down and report to him, Bob. If Crawford has any fresh men, I'd like mine relieved. They've been on steady for most two days and nights. Four or five can hold the fire here. All they need do is watch it. Hart did not argue. He knew how Dave stuck to a thing like a terrier to a rat. He would not leave the ground till orders came from Emerson Crawford. "'Let me go and report,' suggested Shorty. "'I want to get my bronc and light out pronto. Never can tell Applegate might drop round and ask questions. Me, I'm due in the hills.' "'All right,' agreed Bob. "'See Crawford himself, Shorty.' The outlaw pulled himself to the saddle and cantered off. "'Best man in my gang,' Dave said, following him with his eyes." there to a finish and never a whimper out of him dragged a man out of the fire when he might have been hustling for his own skin shorty's game admitted hart pity he went bad yes he told me he didn't kill harrigan reckon doug did that more like him half an hour later the relief came hart dave and the three firefighters who stayed to watch rode back to camp crawford had lost his voice he had already seen Hart since the fire had subsided, so his greeting was to Sanders. "'Good work, son,' he managed to whisper, a quaver in his throat. "'I'd rather we'd lost the whole works than to have that happen to the boys, a hundred times rather. I reckon it must have been mighty bad up there when the backfire caught you. The boys have been telling me. You saved all their lives, I judge.' "'I happen to know where the cave was.' "'Yes.' Crawford's whisper was sadly ironic. Well, I'm sure glad you happened to know that. If you hadn't... The old cattleman gave a little gesture that completed the sentence. The tragedy that had taken place had shaken his soul. He felt in a way responsible. If the doc ain't busy now, I reckon Dave could use him, Bob said. I reckon he needs a little attention. Then I'm ready for grub and a sleep twice round the clock. If anyone asks me, I'm sure enough dead beat. 
I don't ever want to look at a shovel again. Duck's fixing up Lanier's burnt leg. He'd ought to be through soon now. I'll have him tend to Dave's burns right away, said Crawford. He turned to Sanders. How about it, son? You sure look bunged up pretty bad. I'm about all in, admitted Dave. Reckon we all are. Shorty gone yet? Yes. Lit out after he'd made a report. Said he had an engagement to meet a man. Expect he meant he had an engagement not to meet the sheriff. I recollect when Shorty was a mighty promising young fellow before Brad Steelman got a hold of him. He punched cows for me twenty years ago. He hadn't took the wrong turn then. You can't travel crooked trails and not reach a closed pocket of the hills sometime. For several minutes they had heard the creaking of a wagon working up an improvised road toward the camp. Now it moved into sight. The teamster called to Crawford. Here's another load of grub, boss. Miss Joyce, she rustled up them canteens you was asking for. Crawford stepped over to the wagon. Don't reckon we'll need the canteens, Hank, but we can use the grub fine. The fire's bowed out. That's bully. Say, I got news for you, Mr. Crawford. Brad Steelman's dead. They found him in his house, shot plumb through the head. I reckon he won't do you any more meanness. Who killed him? They ain't saying, returned the teamster cautiously. Some folks was guessing that maybe Doug Doble could tell, but there ain't any evidence far as I know. Whoever it was robbed the safe. The cattleman made no comment. From the days of their youth, Steelman had been his bitter enemy, but death had closed the account between them. His mind traveled back to those days, twenty-five years ago, when he and the sheepmen had both hitched their horses in front of Helen Radcliffe's home. It had been a fair fight between them, and he had won as a man should. But Brad had not taken his defeat as a man should. He had nourished his bitterness and played his successful rival many a mean, despicable trick. Out of these had grown the feud between them. Crawford did not know how it had come about, but he had no doubt Steelman had somehow fallen a victim in a trap he had been building for others. A question brought his mind back to the present. The teamster was talking. So she started pronto. I suppose you wasn't as bad hurt as Sanders figured. What's that? asked Crawford. I was saying, Miss Joyce, she started right away when the note come from Sanders. What note? The one telling how you was hurt in the fire. Crawford turned. Come here, Dave, he called hoarsely. Sanders moved across. Hank says you sent a note to Joyce saying I've been hurt. What about it? Why would I do that when you're not hurt? Then you didn't? Of course not, answered Dave, perplexed. Someone's been stringing you, Hank, said Crawford, smiling. The teamster scratched his head. No, sir. I was there when she left, about twelve o'clock last night, maybe later. But Sanders says he didn't send a note, and Joyce didn't come here, so you must have missed connections somewhere. Probably you saw her start for home, suggested Dave. Hank stuck to his guns. No, sir. She was on that sorrel of hers, and Keith was riding behind her. I saddled myself and took the horse to the store. They was waiting there for me, the two young folks and Juan. Juan? Juan Otero. He brought the note and rode back with her. The old cattleman felt a clutch of fear at his heart. Juan Otero was one of Doug Doble's men. That all you know, Hank? That's all. 
Miss Joyce said for me to get this wagon load of grub out soon as I could, so I come right along. Doble been seen in town lately? asked Dave. Not as I know of. Shorty has. Shorty ain't in this. Do you reckon... Sanders cut the teamster short. Some of Doble's work, but I don't see why he sent for Keith, too. He didn't. Keith begged to go along, and Miss Joyce took him. In the haggard, unshaven face of the cattleman, Dave read the ghastly fear of his own soul. Doble was capable of terrible evil. His hatred, jealousy, and passion would work together to poison his mind. The corners of his brain had always been full of lust and obscenity. There was this difference between him and Shorty. The squat cowpuncher was a clean scoundrel. A child, a straight girl, an honest woman would be safe with him as with simple-hearted old Buck Byington. But Doug Doble, it was impossible to predict what he would do. He had a vein of caution in his makeup, but when in drink he jettisoned this and grew ugly. His vanity, always a large factor in determining his actions, might carry him in the direction of decency or the reverse. Well, I'm glad Keith's with her, said Hart, who had joined the group. With Keith and the Mexican there, his meaning did not need a completed sentence. Question is, where'd he take her? said Crawford. We might comb the hills a week and not find his hole. I wish to God Shorty was still here. He might know. He's our best bet, Bob, agreed Dave. Find him. He's gone off somewhere to sleep. Rode away less than half an hour since. Which way? Road toward Bear Canyon, said Crawford. That's a lead for you, Bob. Figure it out. He's done, completely worn out. So he won't go far. Not more than three, four miles. He'll be in the hills, under cover somewhere, for he won't forget that thousand dollars reward. So he'll be lying in the chaparral. That means he'll be above where the fire started. If I was looking for him... I'd say somewhere back of Bear, Cattle, or San Jacinto would be the likeliest spot. Good guess, Dave. Somewhere close to water, said Bob. You going along with me? No, take as many men as you can get. I'm going back, if I can, to find the place where Otero and Miss Joyce left the road. Mr. Crawford, you better get back to town, don't you think? There may be clues there we don't know anything about here. Perhaps Miss Joyce may have got back. If not... I'll gather a posse to rake the hills, Dave. If that villain's hurt my little girl or Keith, Crawford's whisper broke. He turned away to conceal the working of his face. He hasn't, said Bob with decision. Doug ain't crazy, even if his actions look like it. I have a notion when Mr. Crawford gets back to town, Miss Joyce will be there all right. Like as not, Doug brought her back himself. Maybe he sent for her just to brag a while. You know, Doug... That was the worst of it, so far as any allaying of their fear went. They did know Doble. They knew him for a thorough, black-hearted scoundrel who might stop at nothing. The three men moved toward the Remuda. None of them had slept for forty-eight hours. They had been through a grueling experience that had tried their soul and body to the limit. But none of them hesitated for an instant. They belonged to the Old West, which answers the call, no matter what the personal cost. There was work to do. Not one of them would quit as long as he could stick to the saddle. End of chapter 41